Welcome to the One Church Home podcast. This podcast is directly tied to our weekly teachings. If OCH isn't your home church, we encourage you to get plugged into your local body. We pray the sermon blesses you as we press into the Word of God together. I, uh, I'm going to talk about my twins. I do want to say if you were accosted by them to fill out something on a, some kind of calendar, I... Uh, I don't know what to say. I, they, it's first school. Yeah, they all came up to me and they were like, Dad, I got this. I'm like, what are you doing? They're like, fundraising. I'm like, you guys should be in charge of this big fundraising thing like that. They're pretty good at it. But, you know, it happened. Um, but they are an incredible part of life. And I learned so much uh, from, from being a parent. And, and I don't know, has anybody ever struggled with you know, it's, we all love being a parent or, you know, talking and hanging out with kids, but, but have you ever struggled to explain the question why to a kid? I'm trying to think of kind words. It, it can be difficult, right? There's, there's certain times in life and, and as a father that I've found myself trying the best I can to explain why something is happening. Why, you know, I saw this guy do this at school and I go, well, you know, we're, we don't do that. And they go, why? Well, it's, it's not right. Why not? About the sixth one when you want to snatch them up into the air, you just resist that. But why can't you do that? Well, why is that? And at some point, it drives me to this place where I have to respond out of kind of the, just at the basis level of who I am. Because we're Gilchrist and that's not what we do. And, and, and somehow, maybe it's the temperament exploding out of my voice, but all of a sudden they typically just go, oh, well, cool. And, and I just stand there in awe. And, and it's because, right, there's something powerful about identity that changes activity. There's something significant that when, when we can tie an answer back to the core of who you are, it shapes why an activity is appropriate or not. And so all of a sudden you go, well, it's just not good to do that. Well, it's kind of tacky to talk like that. Well, it's kind of, but when you tie it all the way back to go, no, you are a Gilchrist and this is how Gilchrist live. All of a sudden they go, hmm, fair enough. You see, because something powerful happens with your name. And we have been on a journey together where we've explored what's in a name and really Who is this God that we love? Because he has chosen to express himself with all these different names. And the more we understand it, the more we learn about it, the greater our God is in our life. Now, I'm not saying that he's kind of growing in greatness. I'm saying the more we understand it, learn about it, get in God's word and explore it, that he, he, he becomes greater to us. The understanding becomes clearer to us because as we see him, it changes the way we see the world. And so we have this opportunity to, to explore and look at 
all of these names of God in an effort to grow in the, in the, in the image in our own life about who he is because the more we know about him, the more we can allow, allow our life to be conformed by him. And so over the weeks and really months that we've looked at this, we, we started by looking at the first time God was ever asked uh, this bold question, what is your name? And, and, and he responded in, in, in such, you know, this is a God who breathed out the sun and, and, and threw the stars into the expanse. This great God was asked by creation, who are you? What do I call you? And he responds with, I am that I am. Further translated, I am, I am uh, Yahweh. L-O-R-D in English. I am the Lord of all things. And so he's, he reveals himself in this personal and yet great way to, to shape and change the way Moses saw him and then give language to how he can describe him to the generations. God reveals himself as, as I am and then goes on and through the Old Testament we see he uses these, these names to define who he is and the covenant he is in with humanity. And so there's seven covenant names of God that we took time looking at. We looked at the first one named Jehovah Jireh, that he is our provider. Again, that doesn't always look like, you know, God, I really want a Lamborghini. And it just, boom, you know, he provides. That would be crazy. Think about the liabilities on that. These just flow out. This is not scripted. But he provides, right? We don't know what it looks like. We don't know how it's gonna happen. We don't know that it's gonna always be A plus B equals C. Sometimes provision looks like a decision that doesn't make any sense and then all of a sudden circumstances come together and you end up over here and you go, what? How did I get here? And it doesn't equal every time, well, there's a promotion. God provides, I'll get that promotion, or he doesn't exist. It's like, no, that's not how this works. What if he wants to take you down a road you've never been before? And he provides an opportunity through you not getting what you want so that he can get you where he wants you. God provides. The next one was Jehovah Rapha. The Lord heals we said really clearly, I, I, I don't want to, this is not a microwave oven Jesus. I can't tell you that every time you pray for an ailment, there's gonna be a miraculous healing for that ailment. It just doesn't, it doesn't make sense in scripture and it surely doesn't line up with our life. If it's the case that every time a Christian prays to get healing, that they're gonna get the exact healing the way they want it, then I, I'm, I've already messed up because I've asked and it didn't happen the way I thought. But when we looked at Jehovah Rapha, we saw that sometimes he heals through process and the process brings a healing we never knew we needed. And so all of a sudden, Jehovah Rapha gets bigger than just a genie in a bottle that gives us what I want whenever I want it. What's the problem with getting whatever you want whenever you want it? It'll kill you. If I ate ice cream, every time I wanted ice cream, we'd have a problem. If my kids controlled their dietary nutrition, they would not, they'd be sick. 
Why? Because it would look like that, you know, that uh, their diet menu would look like that, uh, the, the, the Harvest Fest thing. Candy, 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 candy apples, popcorn, candy, 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 popcorn. Cake, donuts, dead. You know, it's like, it would just, it would be miserable. And I say, you know, we're, well, we're mature. Yeah, okay. But if we got everything we wanted exactly when we wanted it, we would have no need of God. And so Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha, they, they expand our horizon. They help us see clearly who God is and what he's like. And it's not, he's not a genie, but he always provides and he always heals. In different ways and peculiar fashion, but it always comes. The next one is Jehovah Nisi, the banner over our life. And that's not one that we talk about much, but think about this. A banner is not like an open or closed sign. Now, sometimes I wish I had that over my head. Closed for business, no conversation. But, too honest. (laughs) But Jehovah Nisi means that, that when we step out onto the battlefield, and how many people know there's a battlefield out there, when I step out on the battlefield, I'm not gonna be defined by my strength. I'm not gonna be defined by my, by my stature. I'm not gonna be defined by my talents or my treasures. I will be defined by the banner over my life that is the presence of God himself. And so all of a sudden, I step onto the battlefield with courage and confidence. Not that it's on my strength or power, but it's by his might that I can do all things. And so the banner over us is Jehovah Nisi. Then it goes on to say, Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is our peace. Now, I know some of us pray for this more often than others, but but does that mean that we're gonna just get peace whenever we want? Does that, (laughs) that was my wife. Pray for her. Right, it doesn't mean that my circumstances are gonna become peaceful. It means I can be peaceful in the midst of all circumstances. It means that I can find this inner peace. Where? In his presence. You don't find inner healing or inner peace by going on some adventure and looking for something and find, you find it in the presence of God himself. Why? Because who he is is peace. So when you are with him, you will be at peace in the midst of a chaotic and and crazy world. Listen, do you you, you ever get to a point in life where you just realize like it's not slowing down? It's not, you know, I I think we all think there's gonna be this day where we just have the green pasture moment where we can kind of walk out. It's like, I don't have anything to do anymore. I can just be. It's like, it's not happening. Why? What's well, like, I don't know, Facebook will take your peace. Like anything. Like, there, you know, that's, that's heaven, right? That's like, we're gonna get there someday and we're gonna have peace. We're gonna have circumstances that don't feel overwhelming and, and waves that don't feel like they're gonna take us under. But until that day, we can stand in the blast furnace of opposition with peace in our soul navigating, doing, conquering, living with peace. 
The next one he says is Jehovah Ra. We explored this idea that, that the Lord is our shepherd. He is our guide. He is our protector. He is the shepherd, pastor over our life. That we are, are not in control, that he is. The next one is something very common. Most of you guys use this word probably every day, but you'll remember the name Jehovah Sidkenu. Stacy, you know what I'm talking about. The Lord is our righteousness, right? Sidkenu, that he is our righteousness, that, that it's not, you know, it's easy to see pride in other people. It's hard to see it in ourselves, but I know it's not you, but it might be the neighbor next to you. Don't point. They could struggle over time recognizing God redeemed them. He saved them. He, they used to be broken, and now things are looking pretty good. I, I, I don't do what I used to do. I, I, don't, I don't act the way I used to act. I don't think the way I used to think. So God has really done something with me. And then all of a sudden, somehow we can go from death to life to arrogance. I'm doing pretty good. I'm a pretty good person. I, I, at least I'm not like those people. That's like exactly what the Pharisees said. And so all of a sudden, when we think about the Lord is our righteousness, we stop falling into the false delusion that our righteousness is in our works or our productivity or our service or our giving or our volunteering or our fill in the blank. But it is by God's hand alone that we are made righteous before him through the shed blood of the cross. And so it's this, it pushes us into humility to go, no matter how far I've come, I've still got a ways to go. And that means there's room for you on the train. That means there's room, there's space for you here. There's a place for you here. You can come on the journey. It's not too hard. We're not too far along. We're all in the process because the Lord, Jehovah Sidkenu, is our righteousness. And so we, we look upon him and it, and it greatens our expansive view of who he is. And then finally, Jehovah Shema, the Lord is here. That, that in in, a, in an unusual way that's gonna expand our mind. We're gonna talk about this a little bit in a minute, but sometimes the ways of God are so big that it takes some embracing of the mystery. Because here's, here's a problem. If God is all the time everywhere, how can he also be there? How can he also be here? Like, like in a specific way. It, it doesn't say in a generic way, but in a specific way, one of his names are the Lord is here. It's not that he's just everywhere. It's that in, in God's economy, in God's sovereignty, he localizes his presence in certain times and situations to bring blessing to his people. And so there was talked about like the city of Jerusalem, that the Lord, it would be defined as a place where the Lord was. It's not that he wasn't on the other side of the wall, but it was that there was a specific concentration of his presence that brought brought blessing to his people. And so, so we find that God is, is provider, is healer, is present, is righteousness, is, is Lord. And we see all this great, big nature of who our God is, and it shapes 
hopefully, the way we encounter the rest of our life. My challenge to you, church, is is have you let these words and names of God become something that that shapes and changes your day-to-day life, or are you hearing it and not letting it become a part of what you do? Have you only heard these words, or have you allowed the confidence of who this great God is to drive into your tomorrow? I don't know what you have coming this week. I don't know what your week looks like. I don't know what your situation looks like. I don't know what your you know, meeting schedule load is. I, I, you know, maybe you're just walking in a, in, a, in a pasture this week. I don't know. <sighs> Please let me know if you are. I'll come minister. But if the presence, if the name of God isn't driving deep into our soul, then my fear is that you're gonna be more concerned with what you're doing this week than who you're doing it with. That you're gonna miss the fact that God himself says, I wanna be with you. I wanna be for you. I wanna go through this hand in hand, arm in arm. And as we're gonna learn today in his intimate relational way, he says, I'm not gonna let you do it alone. You see, if we approach every week and every day and every situation by embracing the greatness of who God is, it will change the outcome of how we live here on the earth. But if we walk into every situation and we abandon the truth about who God is, it will leave us a cold and dead church. And church, we've got to lighten up. And I don't mean lighten up like lessen the load. I mean like light a fire. We've got to get bright because the world needs us now more than ever. So today I want to talk about, start a sermon 20 minutes in. I want to talk about the names of God that are the most used and probably most recognized throughout all of scripture. The name Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You see, these are names, but they're also identifiers. They're proper names. The, you know, it's not like we have a, a, a God of infinite personality disorder, right? Like, well, sometimes I'm provider, sometimes I'm healer, sometimes I'm righteous, sometimes I'm father, sometimes I'm son, sometimes I'm spirit, sometimes I'm, you know, it's like, that's scary. But these are the names of God that he has chosen to say, hey, I'm gonna reveal myself in these names, but also this is talking about an entire doctrine, which is called the Trinity, which is a unique defining feature of who we are as Christians, If you start to let go of this doctrine, some of you might be going, I don't want to have a theology lesson. It's like, well, we're still going to go there. (laughs) Because this matters. If you let this slip a little and you start thinking wrongly about who God is and the doctrine of the Trinity, you will, without question, fall into heresy. You, You will believe falsely about who God is then you will no longer be worshiping God. You will worship a a man-made idol. This matters. This is not just about being a church where we sing kumbaya and say, like sometimes we gotta get into the nitty gritty and make sure we're standing in the truth, rightly dividing it so that we're safely encountering God in a way that's accurate and biblical. I, I am so convinced right now that the world is just making up garbage about God. 
And it's not God anymore. It's their God. But our God is a God of truth, clarity, and and we can know him. He is not some mystery in the sky that we're trying to interpret through our emotions and and the signs and wonders. No, I know the truth. And the truth will set you free. And so all of a sudden, we have to look at the doctrine of the Trinity and understand something, church. This is really, like, I wish I just had some one-liner to be like, this is the Trinity. And everybody's like, whoa, dude, tweet that on Twitter. We're not gonna make it on Twitter. Because the Trinity is infinitely complex. It is extremely hard to fully understand. And the moment you think you've got it, you probably just fell into some kind of doctrinal heresy. I've heard people, you know, if you never want to get humbled about the way you view things, go to Bible college and let some, some theological academic just tear your thoughts apart. I did it for you, so you don't have to. But there's this reality at play where we've got to go, man, the Trinity is complicated. Sorry about that. The more we try to explain it, the more we try to understand it, it's not that God's created something that's so, so hard that we're all going to get confused and fall into heresy and burn. It's like, no. But trying to make sense of it by, by bringing analogies around it oftentimes will lead you, like some people say this, well, the Trinity's like, it's like H2O. It's a gas, it's a liquid, and it's a solid. Vapor, ice, and water. That sounds awesome. That's a heresy. (laughs) That's not accurate. (laughs) That's not true. I can't even tell you why it's a heresy. I just know it's not accurate. It's deeper than that because God is not versions, different versions of himself. He is three distinct, co-eternal, co-equal persons that make up a triune God. That is not something that I fully understand and yet I fully know it to be true. That's not something that I can fully comprehend. And I thank God that I can't comprehend it. If you need to understand everything that you believe about God in order for you to fully believe it, you don't have a God, you are God. If you've gotta have 100% certainty to understand all the doctrines of God, then you're demanding something of God that you don't demand for anything else in your life. Did anyone come in the room today and check the mechanics on your chair before you sat down? I I believe one or two people could have, but no. You didn't have 100% certainty that your chair was bolted fully together. You know, anything could have happened. My kids are in the room. They could have just pulled something. You didn't demand 100% certainty of that. You didn't demand, nobody came in here and did, you know what, I'm gonna do an air quality test before I breathe. I don't know what this is, but it's a tester. Nobody demands 100% certainty of anything. You get out of bed, you sit in a chair, you live life, you drive down a road, and you navigate life with a bit of mystery. God is both knowable and mysterious. 
the presence of God, the grandeur of God, the greatness of God is that we can't fully, we can't totally comprehend every detail about how he exists and how he is, but I can fully know him. Does that make sense? You're supposed to be like, sorta. <laughs> That's the point. It does, right? We, we don't have to know every understanding detail, but what we do know is this, that God is not sometimes father and sometimes he wants to look like a son and sometimes he's the Holy Spirit and other times he's, you know, a niece. No, God in his triune nature is fully father, fully son, fully Holy Spirit. Three separate co-eternal Godheads wrapped together in one God fully in community, fully in love, fully in, 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 in co-leadership, but yet, as we'll see today, distinct in roles. We know that Jesus and, and, and the Father are distinguished. Why? Because almost the, the, the beginning of every epistle starts something like this. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Slow it down, Ian. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What else does he say? Well, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We could keep going. There's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. Mediator isn't God. God isn't mediator, but God and mediator are one God, but separate. So there's persons in the Trinity that aren't the same. That's a, that's a really bad theology called oneness theology. That's a problem. If Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all just manifesting in different ways at different times and they're not distinct, that's a, that's a theology called oneness and we'd reject that. We believe these are three distinct co-eternal triune gods, fully God, and yet fully person. I don't mean that in like human. I mean that in like distinct persons. They have been separated out. They are, they are different roles and capacities. And so we have to realize today we're gonna try to tackle father and son, and then, then, then we're gonna give the Holy Spirit his own full day. But but the reality is, is, is that he has chosen to reveal himself as father. The crazy part of this is we've got to remember God, like what, what is he limited? How is, how is he limited to reveal himself to us? Let me, let me read some scripture about who our God is. God has spoken once, twice I've heard this, that power belongs to God. That's not some power, that means all power. Psalm 62, 11. Psalms 147.5 says, great is our Lord, mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. And then Hebrews 12.29 says that he is an all-consuming fire. Now think about how big of a deal it is that God, you know, I'm just imagining in my middle school brain in here, how I would have chosen to reveal myself to creation. I'm an all-consuming, infinitely wise, all-powerful God. 
I would have probably done something to freak people out a little bit. That's why I didn't, you know, get chosen. But that's probably a heresy. The, the thing that we've got to realize, though, is God shows with all the power, all the wisdom, all the insight, and all the, the, the consuming fire of who he is, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reveal myself as father to my creation. And I'm going to do it through my son, empowered by my spirit. So all of a sudden, we have the God revealing himself as a father. Well, what does it mean to be a father? Well, fathers give life. Fathers provide, fathers protect, fathers govern, and fathers lead. And so we have a God, our God, that, that has revealed himself in the name Father so that we can understand how he's chosen to interact with the world he has created. Some of us are going, here's a problem. I have a terrible father. I get it. But that's not who your father in heaven is. The wounds of your earthly fatherly experience are not to be translated upward onto your heavenly father. They are to be a lens by which you see clearly who your father actually is. Your father hurts you, the father in heaven will never hurt you. He abused you, he'll never abuse you. He abandoned you, he'll never abandon you. He'll, he'll do that. All of a sudden we see that every hurt, every pain, every crisis that was real, I'm t I get it, I, I've got my own, is a, a way to see who God is in a way, in a, in, a, in a clarifying, in an understanding to say, God is our perfect heavenly father. He, everything that the father is supposed to be, everything that the father was meant to be is made up in who the father is. The perfect life giver, the perfect protector, the perfect provider, the perfect leader, the perfect governor over your life and he has done that. He has, he has fulfilled that. And he has revealed himself. Instead of, instead of just showing that, he sends his son. So now we have father is, is revealing this, this, this perfect picture of, 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 of God's provision and, 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 and the way he takes care of us. And all of a sudden, it, he happens, and it does that through the, his son, who is Jesus, and so what do we see about the son? Well, we see that the son embodies perfect humility. That we have the father revealed and through the son, and he says, hey, I'm gonna send the son. The son didn't, didn't you know, Jesus didn't get in an arguing match. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you're trying to get a, you know, lead something and there's no designated leader, so everybody's like, well, what if we try this idea? And within minutes, it's like, why don't you do that? Why do I have to do that? Why do you do that? Well, oh, I'm thinking we could go this way. Well, no, I'm thinking we could go this way. And all of a sudden you just have gridlock. You see, this is what's so beautiful about the Trinity is we have not only clear, distinct roles operating in distinct ways, but we have a perfect picture of, of humility, grace, and even harmony working together to accomplish the same goal. The Son 
submits himself even by name to the Father. He says, I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak the things the Father has taught me. In John 15, 10, it says, I've kept my Father's commandments. I abide in his love. Jesus goes on to say in John 14 that the Father is greater than I. And then he says in John 5, 19, the Son can do nothing himself unless he sees the Father doing it. There is this picture revealed through Father and Son, and we're gonna talk more about the Holy Spirit, but through the Father and the Son and the name of God that all of a sudden we see this glorious picture of the Father revealed in Christ And I don't think anywhere in the scripture does a better justice to this than in Philippians chapter two, verses one through 11. It says, therefore, is there any consolation in Christ, any comfort in love, any fellowship in the spirit? If any affection and mercy fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in the lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for your own interest, but also for the interest of others. And let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." So we see this incredible picture of God the Father sending his son to reveal his glory, to then become a model and a guide for our life about how we are to navigate and experience the world in which we live. That by the name of Father and Son, we see a a picture, a glimpse of what the abundant life actually is about us stepping in and tasting the the, the future hope in this present evil age of tasting what, what life to the fullest looks like. What does it look like? Well, it looks like embodying and, and using Jesus as an example and a guide for our life to bring glory to the Father, as we'll see, spoiler alert, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so all of a sudden we, we look upon this, this, this picture in Philippians and we see something really clear, Click, quickly, five things. The first thing is this, let nothing be done out of selfishness. You wanna know how to live like Jesus and, and bring, bring glory to the Father? Don't do anything out of selfish ambition. I, this might not be hard for you. That's really hard for me. <laughs> That's tough to do. Human nature wants to strive and be ambitious and, and get what's ours. Everything about, about our world says the opposite of this. But just this week, I'm inviting you, try this out. Do nothing this week out of selfish ambition. And number two, look out for others before you look out for yourself. 
Meaning, when I get into a situation, maybe it's at home with my wife, with my kids, I'm gonna care more about them than I'm gonna care about myself. These are tough. What else does Jesus show us how to do? I'm like slurring words, show us how to do. Be defined by humility. Everything about our world says I wanna be defined by what I have done, what I've accomplished, what I have, what I have not, what I've, what, I, what I've accumulated. What if we were defined by our humility? What if we were defined by our willingness to, 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 to push others forward? What if we were defined by our willingness to, to esteem others? Be defined by humility. Number four, this is a crazy one. Serve people. What if we just put an, a thing on our calendar just every week and we said, hey, how am I gonna serve somebody this week? Maybe it's gonna be at church this Sunday. Maybe it's gonna be sometime this week. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something to serve somebody. Why? Because the example of the son to bring glory to the father was to, to take on the likeness of a bondservant. That means a slave to, 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 to take on a life of service to others in an effort to find life itself. So serve somebody. And then finally, number five, the craziest one of all, lay your life down for others. It's infinitely complex and yet extremely simple. We have been given a model in the son about how to live. We've seen him do it. He only does what the father does. He is the expression of the father. We've seen how to live like the father. We've seen how to live like the son in an effort to bring glory to the father. And we have been given a guide for our life. This isn't a mystery. If you wanna know how to accomplish it, do these five things. Let nothing be done through selfishness. Look out for others first. Be defined by humility. Serve people and lay your life down for others. And you will taste and see the abundant life God has, made, has, has died for. But it is in direct contradiction to the American dream. That's the really hard part. I, I love America. I love America capitalism and competition, all that stuff, I think it's great. We're gonna talk about, like, we need to be involved in that. We can't just put our head in the sand. I mean, yes to all of that, but let me be clear. What American culture has tried to sell you as the abundant life is a lie. You can't get enough stuff to find fulfillment in this life. You can't acquire enough things, enough cars, enough, you can't, there's not enough. It's an empty bucket, that nothing will fill except what? The abundant life that the Son revealed toward us that shows us the glory of the Father where we lay our life down for one another and in doing so, we find the life we've always been looking for. And so my encouragement to us this week is to just take a step toward it. Let's not live another day bogged down by the lies and goofiness of the world. Let's be the light of the world and show them who the Father is by emulating the Son, empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
and watch and see how God shifts, changes, and lets the church come to life in a way we never thought possible. Amen, somebody? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We honor you and we thank you for revealing yourself in such an intimate way. Thank you for revealing yourself in such a relational dynamic that, that we could comprehend it. And as we look upon you with, with fear and trembling, we also look upon you with adoration and love because you've chosen to be intimate with us. So Lord, we respond to that today and ask you to come and empower us to, to abandon what we might have learned in the world and embrace what Jesus taught us, to lay our life down for people and to find it. We honor you today and we thank you for these moments. Do this work in us and more. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you tomorrow night, Harvest Fest, 6.30. Camp Marymount, it's gonna be incredible. And then again next Sunday, God bless you guys.